Dish TV is better than cable TV. Why? Because you can save 45% on packages compared to your high-priced cable bill. Wow. Take those giant scissors out and cut the cable and save with Dish TV. Plus, you get a free DVR upgrade to record your favorite shows and free installation. And with Dish Anywhere, you can watch TV for free on your mobile device. Act fast. You can save hundreds of dollars. Does your cable company do that for you? Get all the best TV programming at your fingertips at a fraction of the price of cable TV. So say adios, arrivederci, goodbye to the high cable bill, and save up to 45% on Dish TV packages today. These are limited time offers and can change at any time. Call fast. 800-405-2561. 800-405-2561. 800-405-2561. That's 800-405-2561. You're listening to Sports Econ 101, the show where we discuss sports topics from a business perspective. I'm your host, Edward Brown, along with my co-host, Bruce McGowan, longtime sports radio personality. Now, today we're going to have a guest on we haven't had on for quite a while. Yeah, we're going to talk some mountain biking, which is an unusual sport, but it's very popular, especially out here on the West Coast, with Otis Guy, who is really one of the founders of the mountain biking uh, craze. And Otis has been riding mountain bikes, or the fat tire bikes, since the mid 1970s, so he knows whereof he speaks. And uh, actually, we live in the foundation of it, don't we? We do. It, it, we, live in that, we live in the mountain bike capital yeah. of the world. This is where the sport has its origins. This is where uh, probably per capita you have more mountain bikers than any other part of the country. It's probably because we don't live in Kansas. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of hills. We've got a lot of beautiful coastal mountains. If you're ever out in the Bay Area, you know, I would think if you're visiting the Bay Area, Marin County would be the one place you'd want to visit. Mount Tamalpais, Point Reyes National Seashore, Muir Woods, beautiful yeah. beaches. This is the place to come. Yeah, my son uh, just came back uh, or came up from Southern California because he got a job up here. And he, he did a 30-mile bike ride all the way down to, like, the headlands. And, nice. Uh, uh, where else did he go? Alpine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David, I mean, it's like and, oh, there's, and it there, there's so many different lot, lot of hills. Yeah, there's so many different rides you can take. You know, you can take road rides or you can take trail rides. I mean, Otis will talk to us a little bit about that and how that's evolved. All right. Uh, this segment of Sports Econ 101 is sponsored by Pacific Private Money, providing mortgage investments that are currently yielding over 7.5% secured by real estate at very conservative values. Check them out at PacificPrivateMoney.com. And our trivia theme is uh, more tough baseball questions because, again, we're just uh, ending spring training here in, what, about another three weeks, two I weeks? I can't believe it, yeah. Regular season is almost upon us. And it should be a good. It should be an exciting season. That always is. Yeah. All right. Um, and you can listen to Sports Econ 101 on iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Sports Byline USA, CRN, and many other stations around the country. And our, and our uh, men and women in uniform around the country on yep. and the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. Yes, we salute you. Yes. All right. Uh, don't touch that down. When we come back, um, Otis Guy, mountain biker, going to be on.
This is Mark Honf, co-host of Mortgage Investing 101. Did you know that you can earn, year in and year out, returns of 8% and more on your savings and retirement accounts? Mortgage-backed investment strategies such as trustee investing and mortgage pool funds can do just that. Since 2008, clients of Pacific Private Money have consistently earned high yields on their investments. Find out for yourself how you, too, can profit from these real estate-secured investments. Call 415-883-2150 or visit our website at PacificPrivateMoney.com. Experience Mahler's glorious Fifth Symphony, regarded as one of his crowning achievements, conducted by Michael Tilson Thomas, starting March 22nd through March 25th at Davies Symphony Hall. Also on the program, experience Gil Shaham's formidable technique, as well as a big singing tone and a sunny disposition at Davies Symphony Hall, March 22nd through 25th. On April 26th, Pulse's orchestral suite, The Planets, paints each deity based on ancient astrology. Take a peek behind the scenes and experience a San Francisco symphony performance in the making, beginning at 8.30 a.m. with coffee, donuts, and a half-hour informative talk at 9 a.m. Then watch as the conductor and musicians collaborate to bring the music to life. Go to www.sfsymphony.org for more details. Being a new parent means every high and low you can imagine. But Evos can make it all easier with a baby monitor you can trust. Go to myevos.com. That's M-Y-E-V-O-Z.com to see how Evos can be the eyes and ears of your nursery. Evos works with your smartphone to provide a live audio and HD video connection to your baby anytime and anywhere. On a date, at work, away on business, even serving your country overseas, Evos helps you never miss a moment. Whether your baby is with a sitter, your partner, a grandparent, or a friend, you'll be right there too. And with unique features like smart alerts that know the difference between a barking dog and your baby crying, extensive sleep tracking data, and state-of-the-art security features for your peace of mind, Evos is the smart baby monitor for connected parents. And enter the code SPORTS at checkout for $20 off. That's myevos.com. M-Y-E-V-O-Z.com. Anchor.fm is a great new platform that has some of the coolest audio on the planet. You'll find Rick Tittle's Comedy Spotlight and his interviews with all of today's biggest comedians, plus the best in politics, music, and more. Anchor has it all. And if you want to get in on the action, you can start your own station and be the DJ you've always dreamed of. If you're looking to launch a podcast, Anchor is the easiest way to begin. And with so many ways to interact with your listeners, you'll be destined for greatness. So check out the Comedy Spotlight and more at Anchor.fm. Welcome back to Sports Econ 101. Again, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. Bruce, uh, who's on the phone? Yeah, we got Otis Guy, a friend of mine who is uh, really one of the founding uh, fathers of mountain biking. And, and, and Otis, you know, talk to our audience a little bit about mountain biking, the sport, because many of the people listening may not be from the western United States, where the sport has become such a popular recreational activity for so many uh, hundreds of thousands of, of people, young and old. Well, it started, well, I'm always kind of, you know, when did mountain bike start? It actually started almost 201 years ago when Drazine did the first bicycle in Germany. Because were they, were they riding on pavement back then? No, they were riding on stuff. But for modern mountain bikes, modern mountain bikes, we started riding them in October of 1973 with a guy named Joe Breeze who built the first, you know, modern, you know, mountain bike that had all new parts and an all new frame. 
and we were all people that were road racers. So we raced on the road, and we saw the bicycles as an, you know the old bikes as an off-season diversion, and they were fun. And it was a great way for us to explore Mount Tam, which has all these fantastic trails and fire roads and everything else, and is as beautiful as it gets. And that's kind of what got it going. It's interesting. He mentions uh, Otis mentions Mount Tam. That's a coastal mountain about twenty four hundred feet in uh, elevation, just north of San Francisco, and it does have an incredible number of trails and fire roads. And I guess that just seemed like a natural place for mountain biking to sort of uh, explode because of the vistas and the, the challenges of that of some of those uh, rides. And, and you were one of the first guys to uh, to be doing this, weren't you? Yes, that's with a guy named Joe, Joe Breeze and Mark Vendetti. Mark Vendetti was the one who actually you know, showed us. We were into old bikes, um, bikes from the you know, 1890s or 1880s, and I have a high wheeler that I worked a whole you know, summer for free for to bike up in San Rafael. And so we were into old bikes, and it kind of derailed us getting into these old uh, ballooners and these the bikes we rode were bikes that were paperboy bikes for kids you know in the 30s and 40s so we learned that the best uh bike to use is like early 40s pre-war twin that was the strongest bike that had a higher bottom bracket so your pedals wouldn't hit the rocks all the time huh. and those were the bikes you know we would take on cam and they were just single speed in a sense, it was very freeing because here you're riding these road bikes with very skinny tires, drop bars, you know, silk tires that you get flats with sometimes. And these bikes isn't flat, and you just got to bounce over the rocks, and it was just fantastic. And we're also very lucky at the time. That's when we had a very severe drought in Britain. So, you know, we, you know, all winter long, we could ride these bikes in this beautiful weather and just, you know, enjoy the area. We were all hikers before I was a Boy Scout in a hike that you take you like six hours, you can see that same amount of vista in probably two hours. So it just really allowed you to explore so much. Huh. So how long did, was it a uh, situation where you were like trial and error with trying to figure out what bikes would work? Yeah. It, it, luckily, Mark Vendetti had, he was part of this, uh, the crew and I, so there's a Madrone Canyon Larkspur and a bunch of kids from Redwood High School, you know, had, had, figured out these bikes a couple years before and we're riding them on the trails just outside of there. You know, so what what makes the difference for us with the mountain bikes were that we were already very committed cyclists because I think you can look back throughout history. There's plenty of kids that you know, were riding bikes off-road, but then once they got their driver's license, it was over. Oh, yeah. They're, you know, yeah. Dr- you know ride, driving cars, they're riding motorcycles. Yeah. So for us, it was like we were in we were into cycling, so we were going to doing it for life. In fact, Joe and I both tried to break the transcontinental record and tried to ride across the country in less than 11 days in 1976 and 1979. And that was first to try and, you know, see if we could do it that quickly. And second was to promote cycling. If we can ride across the country in, in 10 or 11 days, you can you know, take your bicycle down to the supermarket and get a, a, a quart of milk. And so for us, we were, you know, for us, this really was like cycling's the best sport in the best form of transportation. So it was all of that wrapped together. You know, you know, it's interesting. I can relate to that because I remember, uh, you know, a bicycle me- meant freedom when I was, you know, 12 years old. Oh, absolutely. But it, right? But as soon as I got my license, I, I pretty much put the bike away because then I could go to places I couldn't draw, you know, take a bike, like on a freeway and that sort of thing. So I could totally relate to that. Yeah, it's very different. That's what, the, you know, that was the difference. You know, for me, like, you know, I was able to, my dad would come home from Hamilton Air Force Base, 
and he followed me in his foot. He said, I think I'm going to when I be on my 20-inch bike I got from Herb's Bike Shop in Santa Fe. Oh, yeah. And once he realized, you know, after like a, a month, I could I could ride all over Santa Fe on my bicycle as a five- and six-year-old. You know, yeah. um, you know I, I had my uh, uncle had a supermarket, had a market in Santa Fe. I'd go down there. I'd go explore trails, all that. So for me, cycling was always a passport to freedom. Yeah, it's interesting, too. You know, you see the kids doing it today. And Otis, a guy, our, our guest, uh, is somebody who really tries to encourage the young people, uh, kids I'm talking about, to get into the sport because it's a great uh, way to not only get in shape but just appreciate the outdoors. And, and now you're you're hosting camps. You've been doing this for a while. How many kids do you have in these mountain biking camps? And how I long do you have about – I've been doing a summer camp for a kid for now eight years. And we have usually about 120 or 130 kids every summer wow. over six weeks. And wow. so we did, this was a friend and I would, you know, when you take your kids out yourself, they're kind of, you know, they're like, you know, I don't want to go, it's too hard, everything else. And then we did a, uh, we would do Christmas Eve rides with a couple families. And when you have your kids on those, all of a sudden the kids are talking to each other and it's not like, dad, this is the worst, you know, this is too hard. And all of a sudden, at the top of the hill, and that kind of germinated. Like we need to get. That's a great way to get kids on bike. Get them in a group. Mm. So even for this camp, at the last day, we ride twenty three miles. We ride out to this, these oh. ink wells out in Lagunitas. And so I've got seven year old kids that are riding twenty three miles on the last day of the camp. Wow! The ink wells are a place where you can jump off a rock, a ten foot rock, into this little you know you know swimming hole. You get the whole Tom Sawyer experience that these kids get to see the outdoors. When they come back, they I have kids take their parents on two-hour mountain bike rides, and they know all the routes because they've been doing it with us. Yeah, that's the great thing. About, I think you're you're not only enabling these kids to have some some wonderful exercise, but you're empowering them. You're making them feel. I mean, there's a certain yeah. level of confidence when you can do something like ride a ride a mountain bike on some difficult trails at a young age. It kind of gives you some confidence yeah. that I think uh, that's the great thing about sports in general, don't, don't you think, Otis? Oh, absolutely. Well, it's, it's very fun for me because we'll all have parents come up and they're like, you're bringing the kids' bike and bringing their lunch. I'm like, oh, so you're doing the camp today? Well, we, we can sign you up. I'll need you to sign an insurance form. It's like, you know, what do you mean? It's like, it's your son's or daughter's bike. They can bring their lunch. They can bring their bike. So, so it's always He's like, and the kids will ask, like, what time it is? I'm like, are, are you launching an IPO? Why do you care what time it is? <laughs> like, this is your day off. We get it. We're, we have, we're never in a rush. We're yeah. out here to have fun. So, like, for me, it's like, you know, I'm kind of, it's much easier being a parent. I can get away with a lot more as far as being like, let's just have fun. Yeah. Go for a bike ride. You know, so yeah. it's pretty, it's all, it's, yeah, I told Bruce just before we uh, went on the air that uh, my son just uh, came home for a few days, and he he's a big mountain biker, and and uh, sure enough, he rode from our uh, hill up at up in Fair Hills, which is you know fairly steep. Oh and yeah, then, and Fair he, Hills, my mom used to live there. Ah, okay, yeah. So and he he did like a thirty mile bike ride. And it took him like three hours to do, and he said he was just beaten. <laughs> well, it's a great. It is a great workout. I mean, I know Otis is like myself. He likes to surf. He likes to to go hiking and do other activities. But mountain biking really is is one of the best exercises you could you could do for yourself, isn't it, Otis? Oh yes, it, 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 it's fun. It gives you some upper body strength, and it's just you're away from cars. It, it's all good, but also same with road biking. You know, same with what. What made the difference for us with mountain bikes were we were enjoying riding these bikes on trails, but when you'd show them to regular people that weren't into bikes, the bikes were fun. You know, not everybody wanted to ride on a, on a drop bar 
bike with skinny tires that get that can get flats. So these bikes were all of a sudden were like, yeah, these are great for off road, but they're also good bikes as transportation. So you can have a mountain bike go off road, but also still commute to work. Yeah, so they're hi, kind of like those hybrid tires, you know? Going to cycling. Yeah. Hey, uh, uh, Otis, stay with us. Uh, we're going to continue on because we want to ask you about, like, the Olympics and that sort of thing. Um, we're going to cut to our first commercial break here. Uh, we're talking <clears throat> tough baseball questions. Who was the first baseball player inducted <clears throat> Excuse me, into the Hall of Fame after he had died? That's our trivia question, all right? Email edward at sportsecon101.com. The answer to that question, who was the first baseball player inducted into the Hall of Fame after he had died. All right, don't touch that down. When we come back, Otis Guy's going to continue talking mountain biking with us. Results may vary. Not a solicitation for legal services. If you owe the IRS back taxes, payroll taxes, or have not filed your returns, the IRS will get you. They can take your property, take you to court, even put you in jail. One call to Wall and Associates, and your tax problems are solved. Wall has saved clients over $150 million in the last five years. Our average client settles for about 10% of what is owed. With one call to Wall, you'll never need to talk to the IRS again. We offer free face-to-face consultations in your local area. Remember, Wall has a proven track record with a total client savings over $150 million. Call now for your free face-to-face consultation. 800-813-9940. Rebuild or replace transmission, $3,200. Anti-lock brake system, $1,000. Rebuild or replace engine, $2,400. Truth is, once your manufacturer's warranty runs out, it's all on you. Every last cent. Get protection for covered repairs with a vehicle service contract from Toco Warranty. Unlike other companies, with Toco, there's no down payment, and the monthly payments are really affordable. Not sure how long you're keeping your car? At Toco, you can pay as you go. Keep your hard-earned cash and call Toco Warranty right now at 800-222-2313 to save big money on covered auto repairs. Prices vary by vehicle, but for about the cost of a tank of gas per month, a Toco plan has your back on expensive covered car repairs. Monthly payments are very affordable. Get your free quote now. Call Toco at 800 222 that's 800-222-2313 800-222-2313 Cancellation fee may apply Subject to eligibility Not available in Missouri and Washington Waiting period and deductible apply Coverage provided and administered By Warren Tech Corporation or its affiliates Not affiliated with any manufacturer or dealership Visit tocowarranty.com for complete terms and conditions This family is at home But they won't be answering the door They know that the pounding on the door Is a process server from the court Waiting to hand them foreclosure documents So instead of enjoying the home They worked so hard to afford They sit hiding in the dark Mom, what was that? But it doesn't have to be this way. This family can save their home, but they must act fast. Call Allied State Foreclosure Solutions at 800-274-7312. If you're being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, missed a payment on your mortgage, been a victim of a predatory loan, or are upside down on your home, it's critical that you call Allied State Foreclosure Solutions now. 800-274-7312. Allied State Foreclosure Solutions has an attorney in your area that will meet and speak with you. You can stop the foreclosure your process, lower your monthly mortgage payments, save your home and your credit, but you must act now. Call 800-274-7312. 800-274-7312. Not available in all states. Paid non-attorney spokesperson.
Well, welcome back to Sports Econ 101. Again, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. Here is our first trivia question. Who was the first baseball player inducted into the Hall of Fame after he had died? And Otis, uh, you think you had an I think Otis has got the right answer to this one. Uh, well, I, I, I came up with Lou Gehrig right off the, out of the case. Now, if you think about it, I mean, it's an excellent answer. It's not correct. It's not correct. Well, who, who was one of the first uh, five inducted? Well, one of the one of the first the first five were <clears throat> Ty Cobb, Honus Wagner, um, Walter Johnson, Christy Mathewson, and Babe Ruth. Okay, and yeah. all of them were still alive. Oh, that's right, Christy, Christy Mathewson. Yeah, yeah, he got gassed uh, during the First exactly, World War and yeah. died of died in nineteen twenty five. I yeah, think. Yeah, he died in nineteen twenty five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Be that. You're Bruce, usually pretty good with this stuff. Yeah, I don't know why I keep. I, <laughs> I can't remember my social security number, but I can remember how many games Christy Mathewson won in nineteen twenty four. Figure that one or a nineteen fifteen or something. Yeah. All right, you want to reintroduce our guest? Yeah, we got Otis Guy, who is a uh, mountain biker uh, par excellence, is uh, really one of the founders of the sport, and uh, still very active, and uh, you know leads kids in camps and does a lot of. How many times you go out on the on mountain bike? Uh, would you say Otis a, a week? You know what? I probably ride more on the road bike unless it's the Drake High School mountain bike that you'll see. Where I'm riding behind my house because I'm still trying to keep up with these younger people, so I'll do these groups. You know, fat, extremely fast rise. Well, we'll do the point raise loop in under two hours. Mm. And I'm like hanging on for dear life. So, uh, <laughs> or during the Drake, I'm the, one of the co-head coaches of a local high school called Sir Francis Drake High School. Their mountain bike team, and we have 58 riders on the team, including 20 girls. Oh, good. Yes, and All the right. team's successful. They're there when we go. We're have a race this weekend. There'll be 1,100 high school kids racing on both on through those two days. That's how big the sport, and that's just for the NorCal area. Wow. And then uh, talking the Olympics for just a minute, what sports are in the Olympics regarding mountain biking? The first year mountain biking was uh, put in the Olympics was 1996, the Atlanta Games. And an actual local woman, Susan DiMatteo, won a bronze medal, someone who I was a training partner with for years. And her husband, Dave Weens, who is actually as head of uh, IMBA, the International Mountain Bike Association, helped design that course. So that was the first year that mountain biking made it. I actually did the first I did the first mountain bike race in the world, which was called Repack, and actually won at one time. I did the first mountain bike national championships, which were in 1983. Huh. And I did the first world championships, which were in 1990. But I, I definitely was not. I'm not not good enough to make the Olympic team. I can tell you that. So that yeah. wasn't getting that. Uh, you know, the, the four of them. So I got three of them. You know, it's interesting. I, th- I was thinking about like you know when people uh, do a marathon, they have to really pace themselves. On a mountain biking course, let's say for for an Olympics, is it the same way or is it just all out? It's you know they they really it was longer races before they kind of all because of uh, you know trying to make it more spectator friendly. The races used to be more like, you know, two hours, more more than around, you know, an hour just to get spectators involved. And the courses are extremely tough at this point. First, lots of uphills and downhills, but also some of the downhills are extremely difficult. Um, So it's a real spectator sport that way. And there's some extremely fast women and men. In fact, there's a local woman, Kate Courtney, who finished second in the world championships last year she was favored to win and had a mechanical in the beginning who came from almost last place to get second and she she actually raced in the high school league and went to Branson oh. which is a local high school yeah. what what's the one where I, I've seen these guys uh, oh I guess you know what maybe it's on BMX or it's on it's on uh, motorbikes where they're going up hills at like you know I don't know 
not 90 degree angles, obviously, but. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, they have a, a whole, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's an Olympic sport. Okay. Yeah, that's where they have the whole hill climb. Oh, that's a whole other, you know, yeah. some motorcycles made, you know, with longer, you know, chain stays to be able to, you know, the track and go, oh, that's a hole to do. Yeah, it's pretty impressive to watch. Yeah, you know, I, tr- I, I was going to say one last thing. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I tried using clips, right? That's mo- I guess that's still mo- yeah, mostly it, for it, ride. So funny. So, that, so how that what that means is so there's clipless pedals, which means in the old days we used to have toe clips, these yeah. metal pieces that fit around your toes, and have a toe strap that would hold the pedal. Yep. And then Shimano came out with clipless pedals back in I think 1991 in that zone, and so that allows you to clip in. And and it works much better as well. It, interesting. A round wheel. Yeah. As you pedal, you're pedaling around also, so you want to be able to not just press down, but use your muscle to pull back up. And if you're locked into that pedal, that allows you to use all your muscles to the best efficiency. And it's about a, what about an extra thirty percent efficiency? Pro- yeah, I'm I'm not so good. Yes, it's I, I, I would think it would be at least that. And it's also just, it gets you fitter and makes it easier and more fun. So you get, and also on the mountain bike, it helps you, a lot of my control is through my pedals, mm. is how oh, I'm yeah. steering the bike and, and moving the bike around. So it's not, you're, it's a complete interaction with the bike and the, the clipless pedals really make a big difference. Oh, wow. I can't, I can't do that on, with mountain biking anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah, interesting. Just, just put them really loose and, and get used to it. I've got seven-year-olds that do the camp that do clipless pedals, so you can wow. do it. Hey, you know, it's interesting. I, I do some mountain biking once in a while, and mostly I just do dirt roads. The difference between doing a dirt road and a trail is like night and day. And Otis, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit why that is, because I, I can just say from the standpoint of trying to ride on one of these trails, uh, you really have to be, you know, not only a good bike rider, but you you got to have kind of nerves of steel and, and, and not, not worry about taking a fall, because chances are you're going to, Maybe have a fall once in a while if you're if you're going to start riding uh, trails. I think the the biggest thing is, is, is as I you know instruct the high school kids and, and instruct adults also is looking where you want to go. So I think it has it has a few different things. First, when you're on a fire road, things aren't going by your head quickly. You know, what, but when you're on a trail, that's not much more than your handlebar width. You've got you know stuff that's very close to you that's intimidating to people, and also they're seeing rocks. So if they look at a rock. They see a big rock in the trail. And they look at it. Guess what they're going to do? Going to try to run over it, right? <laughs> or go around it? Go around it yeah. <laughs> but if you look where you want to go, in other words, you look. I'm I'm not looking at the rock. I'm looking where I want my bike to go. That's where you'll go. These bikes do are far better than we are. If we let the bikes just, in a sense, guide themselves and, and look where they're going to go, they'll make it through. We're kind of the ones who screw it up. It's kind of like a running back, you know, looking for that little hole in the in the defensive line. You find that little <laughs> spot, you get that spring block, and boom, you're out in the open. It's kind of same, Gone, yeah. kind of same thing. Type thing it's just, but it's just like anything else you build up to it. You know, where Bruce and I live, we have the, the trails that go around the Boy Scout camp. Oh, yeah. Rancher trails. And it's a very advanced those are advanced trails. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's tough for people to start off on, but if you build up to it, you you can do it. And that's a lot of that, like, even with Tim Rancher, you're almost never going more than, like, 10 miles an hour. Yeah. So it's not it's not like you're hurtling down at 30 miles an hour. My quads Wait. and my knees are hurting just listening to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Otis, what, what a, a, a treat it is having you on again. Uh, Otis is like me, too. He loves to surf, and so we're holding him up from the waves right now. So I'm going to let you... Get out there to uh, to do some surfing, but we'll catch up with you again soon. Now, hopefully, out in the water. Yeah, 
Fantastic, Dave. Thanks right. for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Otis. Appreciate it, too. All right. Okay. That is Otis Guy, one of the founders of mountain biking, which really is an interesting sport. We don't talk about mountain biking very often, but it has... Uh, Actually, I believe it's an Olympic sport now, isn't it, Edward? I, I believe it is, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, the United States must be dominating it, though. I mean, considering all think. the... One would think, yeah. Yeah, one would think. Just oh, like yeah. we dominated uh, curling. Can you believe <laughs> yeah, that? No, that was awesome. I mean, wait, when, when do you ever hear about curling in the United States? It's, it's, yeah. it's in Sweden or England or Scotland. Yeah. The United States? Yeah. And yeah. we won the, the men won the Olympic gold. The women did pretty well, too, didn't they? I think they did, yeah. yeah. But uh, that was pretty amazing, though. Yeah. To, uh, I still think about that one shot. <laughs> you know, yeah. the guy knocked a few, I know. A few that was uh, the stones the, out of the way. That was the shot. And they chose those guys had the stones. That's right. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. If I can remember where it started. Uh, now, you're talking about curling? Yeah. I think it's Scotland, right? Scotland, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And I think if it was. Uh, the 1400s, if wow. I'm not mistaken, that long ago. I, think I, figured, you know, I wonder who came up with the idea for, you know, designing a game where you basically push this little rock across a flat piece of ice the and then try to tundra, yeah, and then try to <laughs> knock another one off. I mean, it's just it's such a strange. And then maybe, with the little brooms and everything, what a strange yeah, maybe some concept. board, board uh, soldiers. One maybe, time, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, you think about the the origin of sport, where it comes from. Is it because people were bored and they they had nothing to do, or is it because somebody had some equipment and they did, they were going to throw it away and they decided to use it for something? Who knows? Yeah, because even bowling has been around for like three thousand years. Yeah, that well, doesn't surprise me. Bowling's a pretty simple game. You know, just take the ball, roll it down the. Lane and try to knock over some pins. That's, Simple. That's exactly it. Yeah. All right. So we're going to uh, cut to another commercial break pretty soon yeah, yeah. here. When we come back, we're going to talk a few different things. Uh, you know, Peyton Manning sold his Papa John's restaurants two days before um, the uh, pizza chain split up with the NFL. Is that right? I didn't yeah. even know he was involved with Papa John's other than doing commercials. Yeah. Like he's, he, he's he, involved. Owned, he had uh, a, a stake in, in 31 wow. different restaurants. Wow! So he he must have known something. Must have known something. Well, but it's not it, insider it, trading because it's not an, it's not a public yeah. stock. But I wonder if he had to disclose to the buyer. Uh, oh, by the way, there's going to be a split up here coming pretty soon. <laughs> why now? Why did the uh, Papa John split with the NFL? Uh, I I think it was because the uh, CEO had made some comments about gee, you know the NFL and sales and Papa John's is going down because of the kneeling and the protests oh, and stuff right, like that. Right, right, right. And it's like um, okay, well. Maybe that's true. I don't know if he said anything necessarily disparaging about it. He just said that's the reason why the uh, sales are going down. Interesting. So it's prob- probably not too inaccurate. Yeah. And uh, did you hear that Ichiro is going back to the yeah uh, to the Seattle Mariners, the yeah. age of forty four? Forty four. Well, crazy? he'll be good off the bench, and he'll be good. He'll, it's almost like having a, a coach on oh, your team. Yeah. I mean, you think about sure. his knowledge of the game and his yeah. abilities and uh, how much he can help the younger players. That's a great move by Seattle. Yeah, it'd uh, probably be his last year. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Here's our second trivia question. The Orioles brought the city of Baltimore their first World Series crown in 1966 against right. the Dodgers. Yes, or they swapped them. them. Yep. Yeah. But they weren't always the Orioles by name. No. The franchise moved from St. Louis in 1954 after playing for many decades decades there and became the Baltimore Orioles, right? Right. Okay. What was the name of the franchise that it began with in the American League? Oh, that's too easy. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, you just gave half d- the answer. Well, don't touch that dial. I did. <laughs> that's true. Don't touch that dial. Yeah. Sports Econ 101. I'll be right back.
Experience Mahler's glorious Fifth Symphony, regarded as one of his crowning achievements, conducted by Michael Tilson Thomas, starting March 22nd through March 25th at Davies Symphony Hall. Also on the program, experience Gil Shaham's formidable technique, as well as a big singing tone and a sunny disposition at Davies Symphony Hall, March 22nd through 25th. On April 26th, Pulse's orchestral suite, The Planets, paints each deity based on ancient astrology. Take a peek behind the scenes and experience a San Francisco symphony performance in the making, beginning at 8.30 a.m. with coffee, donuts, and a half-hour informative talk at 9 a.m. Then watch as the conductor and musicians collaborate to bring the music to life. Go to www.sfsymphony.org for more details. Hi, Sports Econ 101 listeners. I'm Edward Brown. You know me as the host of the show, but you may not know that I work with individuals getting them the least expensive term life insurance policies around. Don't be fooled by the ads you hear on TV and radio. It's always best to work with someone who's completely independent. That's where I come in. If you email me at edward at sportsecon101.com your name, your age, and how much insurance you want, I'll run the numbers through my software program and let you know the least expensive policy around from among many of the top insurance companies. Again, I'm totally independent, so email edward at sportsecon101.com for your free life insurance quote today. Why pay more for life insurance than you need to? I can get you a guaranteed policy where the low premiums are fixed anywhere from 10 to 35 years. So email edward at sportsecon101.com right now for your free life insurance quote. That's edward at sportsecon101.com. Attention timeshare owners, this is an urgent consumer alert from Resort Release, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get rid of their expensive timeshares. Once you've made that decision to get rid of your timeshare for any reason, Resort Release is offering a Better Business Bureau accredited way to legally get rid of your timeshare guaranteed. We guarantee to get rid of your timeshare payments permanently, even if you've tried another company to get rid of your expensive timeshare call now and see if we can help you at resort release you don't pay anything until you're ready if you're ready to learn how to permanently get rid of your costly timeshare make this complimentary free call right now 800-598-0539-800-598-0539-800-598-0539 that's 800-598-0539 Welcome back to Sports Econ 101. One more time, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. That was really nice having Otis Guy on. Yeah, yeah, yeah good guy. Mountain biking for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're getting better with the weather here coming soon. Yeah. Both of us are looking outside and uh, a little Supposed to rain off and on for the next week, though. That's, That's what they true. say, light, lightly. Of course. We need it. Yeah, I was going to say, that probably doesn't do mountain biking too good. Football's okay because you get in the mud and nice sure. and calm. Why not? All right, here's our second trivia question. Excuse me. The Orioles brought the city of Baltimore their first World Series crown in 1966 against the Dodgers, but they weren't always the Orioles by name. The franchise moved from St. Louis in 1954 after playing for many decades there and became the Baltimore Orioles. What was the name of the franchise that it began with in the American League? It was the St. Louis Browns, who were one of the worst franchises in Major League Baseball. Then they moved to Baltimore and they won a championship a few years later. How about that? But that's not where it started. 
Oh, they weren't in St. Louis originally? Okay, so the, uh, okay, they moved to St. Louis in 1902 to become the Browns. But the well, Major, they, Major 19- League Baseball didn't officially start until 1903. That was well, the first that was World a World Series. Series yeah, but yeah. but uh, actually, 1901, uh-huh. for one year, they were the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, I never would have guessed <laughs> that. How about a, that? A trick, trick question. Trick, that is a trick question. The Milwaukee Brewers. Wow. Huh. Yeah, because part of the question says they moved from St. Louis in 1954. The so Milwaukee that Brewers, that the current Milwaukee Brewers have an interesting history. They were the Seattle Pilots originally, yeah. and then they moved to the National League later. So yeah, you talk just, about moving around, huh? Yeah, what, 10 years ago or something? Yeah, it's not that like long that. ago. But And also, they've only been to one World Series since they've been in Milwaukee. That's one. right. 1980? 1982. They lost to the uh, Cardinals in seven games. That was Willie McGee's uh, great moment. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that was when they were in the American League. And so the same thing. It's like, I still can't imagine the Houston Astros are in the American League. I know. That's strange. It's a National League team. It's a National League team. Come on. Jeez. All right. Speaking of baseball, so Ichiro Suzuki, first of all, he's got to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, no question. Now, who would vote against him? Nobody. I mean, the guy came here when he was, what, 31 years old? He's had over 3,000 hits. In what fifteen, sixteen years, yeah. and you know his lifetime batting average is over three hundred. Great outfielder. I remember seeing him his first year. Uh, I went up to Seattle for the All Star game in two thousand one, and the Giants were playing a series right before that. And he put on a show, fielding and hitting. You know, and just his style. It's just yeah. so unique. I mean, it's um, it, there are certain players in the Japanese league that have. A kind of an unusual style of playing that that Ichiro is is sort of you know akin to, but I there was something unique about him, just yeah. special. It kind was like interesting going into the clubhouse before the game. He was crouching um, in a very what looked like a very uncomfortable position in front of a big screen studying video, and in this I noticed I looked the look on his face almost seemed like he was in a trance. <laughs> and I asked one of his teammates about that. I said, "Doesn't that look uncomfortable?" He goes, "Ichiro will sit that way for an hour." And basically what he's doing was he's stretching, stretching out his, yeah. his back, yeah. So, wow. Yeah, he was a big practitioner of, or still is probably, of yoga. Oh, I agree. Yeah, smart, that's, smart smart that's why he never got injured. Yeah. yeah. And he, uh, he I, would you consider him a slap hitter? Yeah, you know, he can hit to all fields. He's got, believe it or not, he has decent power. Yeah. Um, I remember in the 2007 All-Star game, he hit a ball so hard off the uh, right field wall at, the Giants ballpark that it bounced away from the right fielder and he's, he went all the way around on the inside the park homer. So he's got great speed. Oh, he oh, had yeah. great speed. I don't think he has it anymore. He's 44 years you old. You know, it's funny. When you, I think, you know, if you look at a guy's lifetime statistics, you almost think that they should throw out the last few years when a guy's, you know, in his, like here, he's 44 years old. Well, I think they take that into account. If somebody plays till they're 44, they don't look at that last few years as, as uh, you know. No, I don't mean for, for going in the Hall of Fame. Right. I mean, like, you say, yeah, his lifetime statistics, 300. But, yeah, maybe the last three years he hit, like, maybe 301 well, or something, yeah. right? Well, well Mickey, Man- Mickey Mantle, uh, you know, last several years he played, uh, his numbers were not that impressive, and his yeah. lifetime batting average fell below 300. He yeah, exactly. And there's something like you know, ah. I mean, but if yeah, you're going to play, that's the price you got to pay. It uh, reminds me, uh, Ted Williams ended up uh, at 406 or 404. I think I think 406. 406, and it was, yeah. uh, and he had the opportunity to to stay out that the last game as a doubleheader, yeah. and he still would have been above 400. And he goes, no, that's not how you play. Yeah, no, and, Ted Williams is old school. Yeah, you know, and, I, and yet George Brett got kind of. Uh, Cold feet about Cold that. Cold feet yeah. about it, yeah, because yeah. he, was, he was just below 300, but he was the uh, 
uh, he, he was going to be the highest uh, average for for the season. So he sat out, and a lot of people kind of... Uh, you, know? you know what I remember most about... I hate to say it. What I remember, not most about George Brett, but one of the things I remember so well about him was right before the 1980 World Series against the Philadelphia Athletics, he had a... Uh, Philadelphia Athletics. <laughs> the Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies. Yeah. yeah. He had a terrible case of... Uh, Hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids. Yes. And he was talking about it openly with, with the media, and it was pretty funny. That's I've right. got a tape of that. that. It was a tape of some of his outtakes of what he was talking about that couldn't be played on the air, but it was pretty funny. Well, also the uh, thing with Billy Martin, you know, with the home run, the pine tar. Oh, yeah. Oh, and he went absolutely nuts. <laughs> Billy Martin, what a piece of work he was. Why don't you remind the audience what that uh, uh Well, uh, George was. Brett had a home run. I think he'd either tied or won a game in the ninth inning at New York, and there was pine tar on his bat, and apparently it had gone past the point where you could have it on your bat. You, have, you could have it to a certain level, and then you couldn't have it anymore. And So Martin... Immediately went out after the home run was hit and told the umpires to check it. And the umpires checked it, and they said, oh, yep, he's right. You're out, Brett. And Brett just went nuts, came out of the field. He had to be restrained by his teammates. <laughs> the the, the uh, aftermath of this was that the run didn't count. The game was suspended because there was this big uh, hullabaloo. It was replayed the next day as part, you know, right before the 10th inning was played right before the uh, the scheduled game, and Kansas City won anyway. But I thought they actually reinstated that home run. No, I, don't think, I don't think they no, took it away from no, him. No, they did take it away from him, yeah. Really? I, yeah. For some reason, I remember yeah. my... I'm, no, ta- actually, I'm talking they were, revisionist history they were, <laughs> they were played. They replayed. They didn't replay. They but, played yeah. the 10th inning the next day, and Kansas City won. So the whole thing became kind of a moot point. And and what... Well, of course, he, but he doesn't get credit for the home run, though. That's true. Um, I'm trying to think of... if uh, How would Pine Tar even help... Well, it gives you a better better grip on the bat, you know. No, no, it wasn't the grip though. It was the it went past the label. Yeah, I don't so, know. I, that's a good question. Why would yeah. you? Why would, why would it make any difference? Yeah, I think it's just a technicality and a form Billy, substance. <laughs> Billy Martin was one of those guys who paid attention to little things. That's why he was a great manager. And who was the? I can't. I can't remember. I think it was a Philadelphia pitcher who he he had who had the file in the back of his. Uh, pitch. Oh, there were a bunch of guys. There was uh, the guy I always think of as Mike Scott of the Houston Astros. Yeah, no, no, it was the one who where the umpires wanted to check and and, as and he threw it out. Yeah, he kind of like threw it out. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know where, where did that thing come from. I don't, <laughs> no, that's a good his, question. He had his hands. On, I remember the umpire had his hands on his cheek, and then he kind of looks. And he's like, "What is this?" I, I remember Mike Scott <laughs> once uh, took the mound at, in San Francisco during a weekday game, and all these fans had brought um, sandpaper to the mm-hmm. game, and they're all going, every time he's getting ready to pitch, they're going, No, that was just to do the fingernails. Yeah, just do the fingernails. But actually, though, even if you didn't have sandpaper, you shouldn't be allowed to dig your fingernails into the ball. I know they did, but... Well, how are you going to stop somebody from doing that? You well, know? you look at the ball and kind of look around and see if you can yeah, see yeah, those. But yeah, the pitcher can say, oh, that was me. That was my catcher. You know, Who's to prove it? Yeah, the catcher's going to do yeah, it. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, what, what benefit is there for a catcher to do it? I don't know. Good question. Good question. you got to go back to old Burley Grimes, right? Burley Grimes. Now, there, there's a name from the past. Burley Grimes, uh, Bill King, who was one of my favorite guys, the late, great Bill King. If you haven't heard of him, he was the – Oakland A's announcer for 25 years, the Raiders announcer on the radio for 27, and he did the Warriors NBA for, I think, 21. And Bill said that his first job in the minor leagues doing play-by-play was for a team in somewhere in the Midwest, in some little town, and Burley Grimes was the manager. Really? And he said Burley Grimes was the last of the spitballers. Yes. Uh-huh. And he used to sit down, and Burley Grimes would regale him with tales about the dead ball era, and he said it was just, it was just wonderful because Burley Grimes had just a photographic memory. 
Wow. And Bill said he got a great education into the history of baseball from this guy, and he's, he was forever grateful. I mean, you're going to be talking about the late 30s, early 40s. Then. Well, yeah, and I for mean, for him to be a manager. Yeah, and... well, no, he was he managed. He was in well into his 70s by this time. This was in the 19 oh. early 50s. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yes. you know, he was an old guy, but he was one of those. You know, that's the great thing about baseball, and it's true of a lot of sports, but I think particularly baseball. There are a lot of people that hang out and around the sport until they're in their 80s. I mean, this yeah. friend, friend of mine, I'm not sure how well he's doing. I don't see him at the ballpark anymore. Charlie Silvera, long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, he was a New York Yankee, but longtime scout for a number of teams. And he, up until just about four or five years ago, he was well into his 80s. Charlie was at the games. I'd we, see well, him all we, the time. And we had him on. He was yeah. Yogi Berra's catch-up. That's uh, right. Backup, backup catcher. catcher. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's quite a character. Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I look, try to look back at history books to find anybody from the 1700s who would have been associated with uh, mod, quote modern baseball, and no. I could not find anybody. No, I mean uh, the earliest one. I mean, you got like, Abner Doubleday, who was uh, born in like eighteen oh nine or eighteen twelve or something. Yeah, the only reason Abner Doubleday gets a lot of credit is because he promoted baseball in the Union Army. And for some reason, people early uh, historians used to say Abner Doubleday invented baseball. No, he didn't. No. He just popularized it. Yeah, exactly. Among but- the Union soldiers, and it's interesting, yeah. the Union soldiers who were in prisoner of war camps in the South. To, to keep themselves busy would play baseball and the southern guards would watch this and they'd, they'd pick it up and it became such a national sport because of that I wonder if they partly played, because of that i wonder if it was like uh, the longest yard where they played against the guards <laughs> good question or you know if you hit the ball over the fences uh, you don't get another ball yeah you know, you know cuz it's out of out of play yeah, it's funny i don't think about the civil war having uh, pow camps well they or... were pretty have you ever read about andersonville that's pretty hor- harsh no. and horrible. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know. I guess I just sort of think of the you know take no prisoners. Either you know you're using them for information or you discard them because all they're doing is taking taking supplies from you. More than resources. more than half the casualties in the Civil War were from disease, and yeah. a lot of those yeah. were from people that were in prison camps because the conditions were so squalid. Uh, but I'm wondering, were they using them for? Bargaining chips? Or? Well, the the American, I'm saying the Americans, the, <laughs> nor, the North refused, generally speaking, to trade its prisoners to get uh, the northern prisoners back because they knew that if the more prisoners they had, the fewer soldiers the South had, and, and the North already had a numerical advantage, so why not just increase that? So it didn't, it didn't do the northern prisoners much good, but it helped to win the war, huh. I guess, you know, in a roundabout Which sort of way. Very interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah. I just, so maybe the southern uh, uh, states decided to keep prisoners of war maybe in hopes that they could trade at some point. Oh, they were hoping to trade, but yeah. unfortunately for the North, uh, the, the North Very wouldn't do it. Yeah. I remember uh, going to a, uh, a lecture one time with this guy who was a, a, a quite a history buff, and he passed around what was a bullet uh, from the Civil War. Oh. This thing was actually pretty scary. Yeah. I got I to say, because most of the guys, they died uh, because a, a bullet would go in and it would, you know, take out a three, four-inch hole. Oh, yeah. And you bleed to death. Yeah. In those days, they had the worst of all possible, you know, they had weaponry that was much more sophisticated than it had been, and you had medical um, technology and medical understanding of you know how to treat wounds it was just really primitive so if you got wounded you know you chances are you get an infection you probably die from the infection yeah it's funny I think about uh, dances with wolves where you know he sees he's gonna get his leg cut off yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes, no, forget that. don't do that yeah it's like ah oh, I'm taking a wall oh, man yeah. how do you put your boots yeah, it's back an interesting on. thing that uh, in that movie you know he's he's about to get his leg or they say he's going to get his leg amputated and then he never does and he's perfectly okay and there's never an explanation as to why it's one of those little weird little yeah, yeah, things thinking, that drove me crazy that, I mean how does he 
put his boot back on yeah. and then stand on He's it. He's a tough He's, dude, that's why. There, there you go. Kevin Costner, a tough dude. Tough dude. <laughs> right. yeah. Okay, we're going to go to our last commercial break here. Kind of Never say break. last to an older guy like me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how about another commercial Another break? commercial. There you go. All right, here's our uh, third trivia question. Who was the first pitcher to hit a World Series home run? Oh, good question. That, this one's kind of tough. I, I going, think going tough. back a long, give us a hint. Long time ago, yeah, back in the twenties. Yep. Okay, twenties though. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know it can't be before nineteen oh three. Got to be somebody like Walter John. No. No, it's going to be somebody. I actually. Somebody obscure. I don't, yeah, I think so. No, I'm not going to know the answer then. Oh well, that's no fun. Well, pick an easier question oh, then. We like stumping you. I, I don't like being stumped. <laughs> Listen, my wife you... stumps me all the time with questions like, when are you going to do the dishes? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. Maybe next week, next month, next year. All right, when don't... are you going to clean the yard? <laughs> yeah, when are you going to clean the yard? Yeah. After we come back from a commercial there break. All right, don't touch that. We're not that. going anywhere. <laughs> Are you an inventor who would like to try to have an invention or idea patented and submitted to companies? But you don't know what to do next? Call for free information from InventHelp. InventHelp, a leading inventor service company, has been helping inventors since 1984 and has sales offices located in more than 60 cities nationwide. You'll want to talk to the company that has helped secure more than 7,000 invention patents. So call InventHelp. Even if you have an idea for improving an existing product and don't know where to go with it, you'll still want to call InventHelp for free information. You'll find out how InventHelp may assist you in trying to patent your invention and submit it to companies. So call now. Call InventHelp at 1-800-316-1738. That's 1-800-316-1738. Get your free information by dialing 1-800-316-1738. That's 1-800-316-1738. 1-800-316-1738. Are you a business owner or an individual who owes the IRS? Then be prepared to write down an important phone number. Do you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes? Do you need to file back tax returns? Are you dealing with bank levies and wage garnishments? It's time to deal with your IRS problem today. Call Certified Tax Tax Representation now. Certified Tax Tax Representation, Inc. represents clients just like you in all 50 states. They will contact the IRS on your behalf the same day that you become a client, and you can become a client immediately. It's time for you to face your IRS problems. Think about how great you're going to feel when you're represented by a company who's an advocate for you, who knows the law, who also will contact the IRS the same day you become a client. Call today for your free, no-obligation consultation. Call now, 1-800-999-1064. That's 1-800-999-1064. Not all cases are typical and some may not qualify. The consultation is free and so is the call, so call right now. 1-800-999-1064. That's 1-800-999-1064. When you struggle with credit card bills every month, you're not just in debt. Debt is all around you. I see people every day that are on the brink. They're going to go over the edge, and at the bottom is bankruptcy, and we pull them back. At the Debt Helpline, we're experts at helping you resolve your debt problems and become free of debt. We can help you pay off your debt and give you one lower monthly payment that you can afford. You do get to consolidate your payments. 
You only have to worry about making one payment a month instead of making three or four or five. If you have $5,000, $10,000 or more in credit card bills, call the Debt Helpline now for a free confidential debt analysis. 800-957-6063. 800-957-6063. Call the CESI Debt Helpline right now for a free confidential debt review. 800-957-6063. Welcome back to Sports Econ 101. Last time for today, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Bruce McGowan. Here's our third and final trivia question. Now you're tricking me here. Now I'm tricking you. Who was the first pitcher to hit a World Series home run? And it was somebody rather obscure, right? Not a Hall of Famer. New York Giants? New York Yankees? 1920 for the Cleveland Indians, be- defeating Brooklyn 5-2. to Were they called the Robins back then? Uh, yeah, they were called the You know why? Because of Uncle Robbie. Uh, Wilbert Robinson was their owner yeah. or their manager. And back then, they they played to nine ga- games because they won 5-2. Uh, to two. That happened a few times. Yeah, um, yeah. If it was the Cleveland pitcher, would it have been Addie Joss? No. No? You know, I've heard of him. Yeah, he actually died very young. Died at the age of 30 of meningitis. Ugh. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, Mike? father-in-law had meningitis because he kept getting sick but kept working through it interesting so people out there yeah. when you get sick go to a doctor yeah all right idea. jim bagby oh jim bagby yeah no okay. actually jim bagby was a pretty good pitcher not not a hall of famer but pretty solid well at least yeah. i got that part right yeah hall of famer. jim bagby on the mound here's a pitch there's a fly ball deep left field that ball's going going it is gone home run that sounds like uh, vince Gully. no it's supposed to be who? who is that supposed to be? <laughs> the guy that died, who was the voice of Major League Baseball for years. Mel Allen. Mel Allen? Oh. oh How uh, about yeah, that? Yeah. 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 Our, our, our younger baseball. listeners are, are going, what who? Is he t- who is he talking well, about? Yeah, look, they, look, look at I mean, uh, This Week in Baseball. This Week in Baseball. Yeah, well, he was very popular up until the 1980s. Yeah. I used to great. sit next to Mel at the Oakland A's games in the press box, and he'd have like two or three cocktails, and he'd be sitting there telling stories out of school. You know, he didn't have to work a day game after a night game, and it was just wonderful. It was oh, like sitting great. next oh, to I love a, that. Yeah, it was like sitting next to a walking, living museum. I mean, oh, he had all the, all the stories. All right, we're going to cut out for today. Here's our thoughts for the day. Nothing holds you back more than your own insecurities. That's true. And Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. <laughs> why you, was I well, Why yeah. am I here? It's so funny because you always expect that. Like, that some, is a conundrum, isn't it? Where people are always asking that question. What am I? My dad, when he got to be about 90, when, once he said, what do you think it's all about? And I said, Dad, don't start asking me questions like that at the age of 90. You think I know what it's all about? Come on. Yeah, you're 90. That's, you should that's my that dad, out. you know. Come on. All right. Tune in next week to Sports uh, Econ 101. We're going to be discussing sports topics from a business perspective and asking more sports trivia questions. Thanks for listening. On behalf of our team, I'm your host, Edward Brown. We'll see you next week. Good night, America. So long.